And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 264 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, March 25th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy whose March Madness bracket is more broken than a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal, Mr. Joe Polizzi. <laughs> First of all, my bracket yeah. is not horrible. Because I still really? have, I oh, still have three good. I still have three of the four final, which is pretty good. Yeah. So I'm that's, I, okay. I'm, that's 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 I'm great. in two. Yeah, I'm in two brackets, and I'm in top five of both. I will totally take that. If I think in the finals, I have Alabama versus Baylor, and both those te- those teams are in right now. Feeling pretty good. If I yeah. get an Alabama Baylor final, I'm pretty good. I got to tell you, though, on the Cinnamon Toast Crunch thing, which you p- should probably explain if people haven't seen it, is disgusting. I don't even know what it, to do with that. I actually have a, 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 a little rant on that, but, but you know, uh, so the Cinnamon Toast thing, if you haven't seen it, folks, it's hitting some news outlets, not hitting others. Uh, apparently, what happened here was the... Uh, a guy, a writer, uh, should note because this will that'll play into the story here in just a bit. Uh, opened up his box of cinnamon toast crunch cereal, uh, which, by the way, is very tasty. Um, not sponsored the show, but just a, <laughs> but we'll, a, a we'll flat out honest, dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll send me some cinnamon toast crunch. Um, basically, took a picture. He dumped out his cinnamon toast crunch and what looks like uh, two shrimp tails uh, come out of the box. He tweets it, says, uh, why are there shrimp tails in my cereal to the Cinnamon Toast Crunch Twitter account? They immediately respond to him and say, oh my gosh, we're sorry you found this. Please, you know, send us a DM and we'll get our quality team right on it and obviously replace the box and, you know, please send us the you know, offending shrimp tails. And you would think the story would end there. Funny, haha, everybody's a little disgusted, a little, you know, like how the hell does shrimp tails get into a cinnamon toast box? Well, you know, so they trade messages and what the cinnamon toast people say is that it's actually not shrimp tails. There's no way that shrimp tails are getting into their process, which quite frankly, I have to believe Right, there's, they're just, you know, the how does the cinnamon that toast, happen? I know, right. Well, the cinnamon toast crunch people aren't processing, you know, cinnamon shrimp, you know, squares in the but next could, aisle over. Be. I mean, it it really could be the one over. It could be. It is. It it could be because it's most in likely some, not in some countries. Cinnamon shrimp tails I'm going is with, a delicacy. It possibly could yes. be. I'm going with Razor's Occam here, and the simplest Razor's explanation Occam. is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so uh, uh, the you know um, the the whole idea here is is that the guy then makes it a thing, right? He makes it a he made it a story. Reports back uh, and um, and basically says uh, you know how dare you doubt me, you know, and all this kind of, anyway, it went, that whole thing now goes viral. And what the report is, is that, you know, they actually doubted his, his identification of the shrimp tails. So there you go. That's the, that's the story behind so what, it. So what should they have done? Excuse me. What do you think? P.S. I do know that it's Oxum's razor, by the way, I was making, I was trying to make a funny, I was just, just to, just to make sure you that did. I don't get letters trying to correct me. You did in make the, a funny. It was funny. Yeah. I would, yeah, yeah. I was trying to make a. a, a, a anyway, but are you? But okay. So long here. story short, from a marketing standpoint yeah. or customer service, they just should have said thank you and not say anything else. Like they they shouldn't have made any conjecture yes. over what it was. Agreed. Agreed. Because once they, they did that, they, then they then right. they made him look like an idiot, and he wasn't right. having any of that. 
Right. The other thing here at work, of course, is the Streisand effect, which is basically by saying, hey, listen, let's try, you know, they just overplayed their hand, right? And, and by, you know, and t- exactly to your point, you know, should have just said thank you and we'll replace the box and moving on. But they had to take it the next step and sort of defend themselves or feel like they needed to defend themselves with this guy. And, you know, and, and, and now he sees an opportunity to go, they should take me seriously, you know, I mean, to feign outrage at the whole thing and get a little bit internet famous along the way. So, you know, a lesson learned, cautionary tale, if you will. Very interesting. And, and before we start the show, we have two announcements. Uh, we're yeah, going to have one announcement, absolutely. but I have two announcements. And this one, we have a, a review. I just thought it was funny. So Kevin Christie left us a great review this week. He says, love the show, love them, love their marketing knowledge. I just wish they would leave the politics out of it, becoming a bit much. Still amazing info to be had from this show, though. So Kevin, first of all, thank you for the review. And regarding your point about politics, I think you're absolutely right. We think it's a bit much, too, but it doesn't mean we won't still do it. But <laughs> but thank you for the review. Uh, it was a four-star yeah, review. absolutely. And we got dinged because the fifth star was the political star. And that is off That's the correct. We, we can't get that. So, I, which... Uh, it's it, it's probably my fault. I'm going to... I'll, well, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. I don't know about that. I'm... I'm you know, well, if it's recent, it's got the only thing I can think it was was the my my take on uh, the open internet and net neutrality. But, but that's not but, political. I think it's because there were certain things that happened over the last year that you and me, particularly, I just couldn't <laughs> sit tight with anymore. But Kevin, I can I can promise you this. I can make this promise right now. Over the next twelve months, there will be a lot less politics than you heard the previous oh, yeah. year can guarantee oh, yeah. it that that poli- that guarantee that's it. an easy policy to keep exactly yes. okay so our second announcement before we get started yeah. is and there were some there was some twitter uh you know, tweets back and forth from some of our community using the this old yeah. marketing hashtag about our yeah nft non-fungible token talk and there was yeah. some discussion that you and i should launch for the for experimental purposes only that's correct. That you and I should launch our own NFT. Now, I must say that I was not into it until you and I also agreed that if someone did see value in anything that we would produce from an NFT standpoint, that it would go to uh, charity, which would go to our foundation, Orange Effect Foundation, which helps children find speech therapy services. So we decided, you and I agreed, we texted back and forth after the last show, we have made it happen. And now we have our own minted NFT. And if you would all like to play along with us with this one, you can go to OpenSea. <laughs> yeah. OpenSea. So it's O P E N S E A dot I O. And if you're not familiar with OpenSea, OpenSea is like the eBay for NFTs. One of the, and probably right. the largest site That's right. from what I'm gathering. And what's great about OpenSea is you can actually mint your NFT on OpenSea and then put it to sale, which is what we've done. And if you would like to see our NFT, what we have done is we have put episode one of this old marketing, which was produced on November 19th, 2013, published on November 20th. We have put it up for sale and you could be the lucky owner. It's so funny just talking. (laughs) I can't even get through this. This old marketing number one. This old marketing number one can be yours. Uh, and right now, we, their minimum bid is 0.1 Ether. Uh, an Ether right now is about $1,500. So what I... So is it 0.1 Ether 0.1, or 1 Ether? 0.1 Ether is the minimum bid. The reserve price is 1 Ether. So here's the experiment. First yeah. of all... So you can bid... So just to do the math, you can bid 150 bucks minimum, but to reserve it, it's... Fifteen hundred. That's right. About yeah, it'd be about between fifteen hundred and seventeen hundred bucks. You'd have to. You'd yeah. If you want to own it, you'd have to get to at least the seventeen or right. whatever fifteen hundred, seventeen hundred. That's right. Point. And that's not our rule. That's the open that's C open rule. C. I would put it on yeah. much less. I would have put it on for that's like thirty right. bucks. But <laughs> what I have found, okay, I mean, this is what we're learning with this. What I found is the first time you mint something on there, they charge you like a hundred bucks to do this thing. 
gas prices, yeah. it, it, gas prices, it's it's the price of putting anything on the Ethereum blockchain is very, very uh, costly. So you have to spend that money up front. So already we've got 150 bucks into it. And uh, the goal is if somebody would like it, that'd be great. All the proceeds go to Orange Effect. And either way, if nobody bids on this right. or buys it, we have learned something. We have That's right. learned how to do, That's... how to mint an NFT, as well as that our content is of no significant value to anyone, <laughs> which right. is maybe the most important <laughs> thing to do. Yes. That is. But I think it's cool. You, now you can be it. the owner. And by the way, I don't know if you. Uh, you can be the owner. <laughs> you can, this is yours. Uh, so yeah. basically, just to, I'm gonna we'll finish with this because I know people don't care about it, but I think it's fascinating. PNR number one, which we used to do PNR number one at the time, was Forbes sale, uh, LinkedIn showcase pages. Remember those? Minecraft yeah. and John Deere's magazine. John Deere was our first this old marketing example. We used to do a this old marketing example at the end of every episode. But uh, yeah, Google Plus. We talked about remember Google Plus. And uh, we talked about Minecraft as content marketing. And oh my goodness, it is so much fun to listen to us with our first episode. (laughs) (laughs) Good pitch. That was a good pitch. That's the best I I can do if you want this. It's like like selling the runt of the litter. It's kind of how we're doing it. Anyways, if you want, we're going to put it in the show notes, but if you want to find it, just. Search for this old marketing on OpenSea. OpenSea. And you'll go right to it because right. there's there's only one. There you and go. there probably will only be one. <laughs> so anyways. All right. Let's get to the let's news. Thank God, and let's please. yeah, and let's talk about some stuff here. Uh our first story here, we're gonna talk a little bit about I, you know, shockingly, subscription. Um, this is a fascinating story, actually, and gets to something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks or how some of the larger companies are beginning to look to uh, create walled gardens and audiences. Uh, This comes courtesy of Axios. And the topic of the story is Verizon Media, uh, which specifically the Verizon Media Group, which is the media division within Verizon, the big teleco company. uh, And that group has 3 million people that pay for subscriptions across its portfolio, mostly of Yahoo-related products. Uh, Remember, Verizon, of course, acquired Yahoo for a bucket of pucks a few years ago. Um, Sorry. They have Yahoo Fantasy, Yahoo Finance, and a number of others that the Yahoo branded um, media companies. And moving forward, the goal from this Verizon Media Group launch is going to be to rebrand most of its media franchise, franchises rather with the Yahoo product and to focus on selling subscriptions to those products that a rebranded subscription portfolio will be called Yahoo Plus, uh, which... There you go. Uh, Yahoo is the future of our consumer-facing brand, says Joanna Lambert, head of consumer at Verizon Media. The article goes on to talk about the different Yahoo brands uh, and how they will sort of fold into the portfolio. And that includes, of course, things like Yahoo Mail, which I used to use back in the day, um, TechCrunch, uh, Yahoo Finance Plus, Yahoo Fantasy Plus. Uh, and then they're also experimenting with some of their other brand premiums, such as tastemakers and some of those kinds of things. So what say you, Mr. Polizzi, uh, about this move from Verizon? Oh, yeah. Isn't this whole thing getting out of hand now? I mean, come <laughs> on. How many pluses, maxes do we need? Uh, I have a couple takes on this. First of all, here's my and here's a serious question. Does Yahoo Mail Plus come with even more spam? Is that a thing? There it is. There it is. They really listed it. In this article, it's listed <laughs> Yahoo Mail Plus. Uh, and I yeah. want I want that. I want the best spam that you can possibly get the for the best money. spam. I I don't know where this is going, but I'm sure this is not the last. I the, the two things that uh, one thing's disappointing to me is they have TechCrunch here listed. TechCrunch, for good and bad parts of what that brand means, I think there's more positive than negative, and I and they're looking at all like bringing everything into the Yahoo Plus family. That is a big, big mistake. If if 
a brand is really meaningful to a community, there's n- there's no reason why you need to rename it, even if you're going to go full boat with Yahoo Plus. So that's the one thing I would say. Uh, second thing is this, and I think maybe we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Robert. I think this is a huge opportunity for marketers who don't have a subscription plus program because good old non-paywalled content is still pretty popular. And I think that if you are a marketer looking at what do I do with all these, with the Netflix and all the gated stuff and it's getting more and more and I get on uh, New York Times and I can't can't read anything anymore unless they don't care about the content and then they maybe they'll let me see it for free. It gets a little exhausting. So you either get to a point where you're exhausted and you don't go to that site anymore or you actually give in and you, you pay for it which is what they want. And of course it works. It's been working very well, but I think that we've come to the point of exhaustion with this. And if I'm a marketer, I'm looking at this saying, can we create a really good, excellent content program and not put it behind a paywall against some of these platforms? And we have an advantage. We could have an advantage. I don't know if you have a take on that. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's spot on. Um, you know, I, the, the funny thing is, you know, the, we covered on the show, I don't know when it was, late last year, maybe even early this year, where we talked about the fact that there were several publications, uh, Yahoo Food, Yahoo Health, Yahoo Parenting. Uh, there was a number of magazines that in uh, when Marissa Mayer came in to fix, quote unquote, uh, Yahoo, um, that they ended up folding up, right? They ended up folding up these magazines. And not too long ago, we talked about how they, they basically closed them down. And the interesting thing was when, we, when, they, when they closed them down, they were all, the, the reason they closed them down was because they were getting, you know, and they, by the way, we also covered that they hired all these very, you know, talented editors and writers to come in and, you know, bolster these things, right? And, it didn't, it quote unquote, didn't work, right? And the reason it didn't work was because they never matched the traffic that Yahoo got, mm-hmm. right? So in other words, in the, so that each one was getting, you know, literally maybe 2 million visitors a day or, you know, a million and a half visitors a day, you know, and the, I remember at the time you and I discussing this and I was like, imagine you're an editor of a magazine today, like right today, 2021, and somebody says to you, I'm gonna give you the world's preeminent editor in this space, subject matter expert in this space, who's gonna serve as your managing editor, I'm gonna give you a brand, I'm gonna give you two and a half million visitors per day, think you can make money out of that? And and of course the answer is yes, that's an absolutely, oh my God, that's brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. In today's right-sized media economy, that's a, that's a real business. Um, and, uh, you know, so when I see this getting sort of all sort of aggregated, what it tells me is, okay, they, they sort of are now saying, yeah, that was a mistake uh, to fold all those things up because now we can put them together as a network and call it Yahoo Plus or Yahoo Extra or, you know, whatever it is and build an actual product offering out of them that makes real money. And now they have to be kicking themselves about folding up all of those magazines that they folded up and don't have anymore, right? You know, and, and or are they going to resurrect them or are they going to, you know, relaunch them? Uh, to me, it sort of feels like this is yet another sort of like, well, we don't really know what to do all this stuff in our closet, so let's try this, right? You know, it, it just doesn't feel like they've got a solid long-term strategy for any of this stuff. They're just sort of trying stuff as it comes along. It's it's very similar. And you and I were talking beforehand, I just did a, a workshop on this whole thing. And I said, you know, we talked about you figuring out your content differentiation and then focusing on building a base. And then I said, what happens is they don't focus on building anything. They go right to diversification. They diversify too quickly and everything's all over the place. It reminds me of this. Everything is really all over the place. And they're like, okay, how do, how do we bring it together? And some things shouldn't be brought together. Right. Some That's things right. should probably be killed in this case. Uh, and then focus on what you can really be great at. Like, I'll give you an example. Yahoo Finance Plus. 
I mean, five years ago, seven years ago, Yahoo Finance was the leading place to get any financial information. Now, probably not so much. But do they still have a possibility of that? Yes. They're still hanging on. They could still do something there. There, They put something. Yahoo Fantasy? Yeah, maybe. Some of this other stuff? I don't know. It's like, well, let's mix it into the recipe and see if it bakes a cake. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. It would be better I mean, to be kill interesting. It would be better to kill things. Recommendation to everyone. It's it's all you have to go in and look at a property and you have to put as much effort into asking the question should you kill something versus should you save something. But we're, we we yeah, don't want to do that. I, we're hesitant to do that. Well, or or quite frankly really invest and do something cool with the brand. If you right? if you're going to keep it. Yes. If you're going to keep the brand and call it Yahoo Plus, because I'm the first to admit that Yahoo is a great brand name. It's a great, you know, it's a classic, wonderful, digital, you know, throwback, nostalgic brand to the early days of the Internet and was always one of the more fun uh, brands that you rooted for. Right. And, and, And so instead of taking the sort of box of stuff that you've got lying in your closet and going, well, how do we sort of put all this together and make something, make money? Why not really reboot the whole thing, reboot the whole idea and, and, and invest in it. And, you know, and if Yahoo consumers is going to be the future of your brand, great, do something interesting with it, right? Do something really, don't just pack it, you know, smash it all together and, and make it a thing, uh, and sort of pay, you know, and, and leverage your existing, legacy audiences that have uh, stuck around because, like you said in the beginning, like they still have a Yahoo mail address or they still have the Yahoo Finance, because Yahoo Finance, quite frankly, was fantastic. It still is fantastic. It's a it's a great, great service. But, you know, it, 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 why not do something really interesting, but with the with with a reboot of all of that stuff and find something to do, you know, and, and really make a thing out of it, right? Yeah. Instead of just sort of, you know, having a garage what feels like to me a garage sale a brand garage sale we'll see how it works out i'm i'm yeah i'm not gonna put any money on it because it's a bold strategy bold strategy cotton yes exactly (laughs) right all right moving on to our next story here it is uh sort of the opposite of this idea it's another launch as it were um this coming to us courtesy of marketing dive uh, and here it's about Roku, uh, Joe's favorite stock. Um, the headline here is Roku launches branded content studio as new fronts approach. Uh, and as the article opens up, it says Roku today is launching a branded content studio to expand its range of advertising formats and TV programming for marketers per an announcement email to marketing dive. The studio will create short-form TV programs, interactive video ads, and other branded content on the Roku channel, the company's uh, ad-based video-on-demand hub. Uh, The company's new studio will build on its existing offerings, which include sponsorships and native advertising. Examples of recent campaigns include Roku's partnership with Intuit's TurboTax on a college basketball game guide during March Madness. Roku users can unlock free college basketball content, in an augmented reality lens on their connected devices per the announcement. The article goes on to uh, explain that there's some few people joining up with this. Uh, the Funnier Die studio is going to join up and a couple of others, comedians, actors, writers, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, Wendy's is one of the companies who've worked on their helping them out with this. And this is fascinating to me. I, I think this, you know, I I'm, I'm totally want to get your take on this, Joe, but, but, to, but to me... This is Roku yet again, sort of really demonstrating how they're ahead, way ahead of the curve here, in terms of where, what you know, what the redefinition of a TV network is these days, and you know, I know you're bullish on Roku broadly speaking, yeah. but but this to me is is this is a smart smart move. It it's very similar to the Netflix model of let's go get subscriber growth, focus on subscribers. We will leverage other people's content to do that. And then once we build the subscribers, that's when we will launch our own programming. And it's, a, it's I mean, not exactly the same, but that's got the same feel for it where Roku was 
they were driving subscriber growth through getting their devices and getting their software onto every available television platform. And now they have 51 million plus users. Uh, and now that they've got those users, what they do? We just talked about it a few episodes ago. They bought the rights to content for, for Quibi. So something good will happen from that disaster. Yep. And then, yep. And then now they're going <laughs> to launch a branded content studio. And what makes this different from every other agency out there that's pitching their branded content services is that Roku has 51 million people in their audience. That's that right. are waiting to pay attention, and they don't. They need a very small that percentage. are addressable, by the uh, way. Exactly. That are addressable. They know exactly who they are, and they have That's all right. kinds of data on it. And it is just fascinating the way this uh, this is working. So, it, most of the time when I've seen this, and I mean, you guess you could look back at the tape and see, I usually poo poo this kind of a move from anyone building a branded content studio because it's so difficult to do, and you have advertisers that are so campaign focused they never like to do things ongoing and consistently so you dump all kinds of ip and time into the first nine months and then you're done it's just a waste of time this because roku has so many um assets that they're bringing to the table with this and now they're adding as you mentioned a lot of really good talent to the table i see this thing taking off i mean they could be the ones to beat ultimately with this because they don't have to go find audience. They don't have to focus on placement. They have it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 brilliant. Um and the, you know what it, and this is going to play into my uh my my commentary later in the show, but this is a first step into building an ecosystem of targeted content that is going to redefine what a television network really is. Uh, and so just exactly to your point, you know, the, I think the jury is still out over whether these streaming services can make advertising work. They certainly can't. I think it's been shown that they really can't make the interruptive 30 second, one minute spot work. You know, they have to be different in that. If you're paying a subscription, you just can't get ads. Right. Mm-hmm. But, I think they have shown that you can do interesting things in interstitials between shows as separate programming, uh, as a separate part of a channel, you know, whatever you, however you want to call it. And gosh, Quibi content fits right into that idea where you can do sponsored content that does provide, you know, an element of, well, here's a trailer or here's something interesting or here's something fun to play in between two shows or, you know, that's a kind of thing where users or consumers will not only put up with it, will like it. And, you know, they got a long way to go there, right? They, there's a long way of, of, of trying to figure out the right balance and figure out the right thing. But one thing is for absolute sure is they're going to have the ability to target this to Specific now, whether that means they launch a free version of 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 you know the subscription service, or they, you know, and you have to watch you know content as a spot on that, or whether they sort of figure out a way to put it into a discounted subscription service, or I, I don't know what, but but it's just such a perfectly timed move to take advantage of what you were talking about with leveraging the externally licensed content and making a slow move over to original content it's 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 wonderful and by the way as a strategy i like it i agree i think it's going to go well and for those of you not that please do not take any financial advice from robert rose or joe polizzi but (laughs) roku was well over four hundred dollars at one point it's now almost under three hundred uh because if you haven't been noticing if you don't notice the stock market there is a uh, a, a movement of money from the high-tech flyers into more value-driven stocks, and it's happening right now. So uh, Roku is, you could, it's a 25% sale. So this Is this the part where I'm supposed to mash a button and like, bye, bye, bye? Oh, no. <laughs> this is not, yeah, this is not Jim Cramer's <laughs> podcast. Yeah, right. By the way, you know what I watched last night on Netflix? What? The last blockbuster documentary i i've 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 i i have almost clicked on that three times i so want to watch it is it good it's cute there okay it, yeah it's worth watching 
Uh, especially, it's like it's not long, no, right? It's an it's, hour it's, and twenty six minutes, and yeah, it's okay. probably worth watching. There's enough. They have a lot of side comment from actors that used to work at Blockbuster, and that that's probably not necessary. But there's enough in there that's necessary. Here's a couple things that you learn. First of all, and I talk about this in in my book that Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix for fifty million dollars yes. and didn't do that. We've talked about that, so that was a missed opportunity. But the way the Vi- former um, CEO, I'm not giving anything away, it doesn't matter, but the former CEO of Blockbuster said the reason why they failed was not Netflix. It was the fact that when, because in 2008, the two companies were neck and neck, and actually Blockbuster had a really good digital business going. I mean, they'd, they'd made the pivot. The problem is, yep. is that I think it was Viacom before they... Uh, before yep. they spun out Blockbuster as an independent stock, they saddled them with so much debt. When the financial crisis came they, and called their number on it, they couldn't refinance any of it. It got called, and they had to declare bankruptcy. That's what yep. happened. So it was absolutely yeah. all about a financial move and not that Netflix put them out of business because there was yeah. room for Blockbuster. So, anyways. Yeah, I, I, and, and I had some... I mean, we won't belabor it here, but I had some, because that goes back to the days when I worked for the monster that is Viacom. I worked for Showtime Networks, and and that blockbuster acquisition happened while I was there, and, and there was all sorts of confusion about why they would buy Blockbuster at the time. This is late 90s, you know, sort of mid and late 90s, and it was interesting to watch them saddle the company with, I mean, I mean, just... It was it was amazing. I mean, that was all Sumner Redstone, right? I mean, it was all there. You know how they 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 basically positioned that to to really um, as a as a a very shrewd but very you know interesting financial situation. Yep, yep. So anyway, so anyway, to everyone worth worth watching. Uh, yeah, and and Sandy, the manager of the store, is as cute as a button, and she does a great job. And of course, she's a she's a rock star now because that is a tourism spot even my son my son adam walked in the room we were watching it and she's like he's like can we go to bend oregon to see the last blockbuster it's like i remember i was in one when i was three like god i'm (laughs) old but yes let's go yeah (laughs) so gosh that was yeah the the days um all right moving on to our next story here which uh by the way uh is about the new york times um and interesting thing here uh, quick hat tip uh big hat tip to our friend family and someone we miss seeing so much mo wagner uh social media czar or czar s i guess it would be um from content marketing institute uh so thank you mo for this wonderful wonderful story sending it over to us via email and it is from ad week and the headline here is the new york times to writers check with us before you start that newsletter Uh, the article opens up by saying the age of the personal newsletter is upon us. I've heard that from this guy, Joe Polizzi in his new (coughs) book. Um, but the New York times is not immune. Of course, the times announced yesterday that staff must seek approval for any new book proposals, TV and film deals, audio projects, and yes, newsletters, a notable new policy considering that the times increasingly competes with platforms as well as other media organizations for writers. Uh, while the news has rankled some, the question is whether other media organizations will look to mimic these policies. Side projects must now comply with the Times Ethical Journalism Handbook, the guidelines that dictate, for example, when reporters can accept gifts or take speaking engagements. The quote, in recent years, we've been happy to see an increasing number of Times journalists receive external opportunities to appear on television, write books, consult for films and beyond, the Times management said in an email to the staff. But, quote, as the number and variety of outside projects have grown, we have heard reasonable questions as to whether our policies are always being applied fairly or consistently. So that's not saying that they can't do it, but it's just basically no. saying they, they got to go ask permission to do it. So what say you? I Something must have happened that provoked, the, because, maybe because of all the newsletters that were coming out and weren't supposed to. But to my knowledge, this has been in the guidelines for a while. There's more diversification happening, but... 
So why did the Times come out now and say that they can't do all these things? Because I thought that if you worked for basically any editorial entity, media entity, you had to ask permission to do any of this stuff. I thought. Is that am I incorrect on that one? I, yeah. I, so what? Ha- no, you are not incorrect. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing. It's always I, been I a think, thing with media, yeah. comp- with with editors, with writers, right. reporters that work for an entity, especially a large entity. You like had to get time. permission. You That's had right. yeah. If you were going to go, if you were going to go act in a movie or be on the news program and get interviewed as a subject matter expert or do anything, so, so, basically that that where you were going to be voicing the you know. As you know, and in fact, reporters would often say, you know, in those situations, there would be the disclaimer, like I'm not speaking for the New York Times or I'm not speaking for X, Y, Z. I'm only speaking as myself. Um, And, you know, I I wonder when I see this story, if I go, did they just add newsletters to the list? No, I I think it just got to be too much because you can you can read it in the Adweek article. It says, I think that reporters or the writers just stopped asking for permission and they just did it too much and then they're like okay what are we going to do we better stop this nip this in the bud and they right. said this so is, they sent an email to everybody this right? is an email to everybody they say should, stop yeah. okay read your guidelines stop doing right. this we're, we're going <laughs> read the read the employee handbook yeah. we'll forgive and forget for <laughs> right. right now but all those other side projects that you have going on need to stop right now that's exactly what this is they got a little slap yeah. on the wrist yeah <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. So there you go. Yeah. Well, it is. A, I mean, I, I, you know, and I, and I think it's a good, it's a good policy for sure. Um, you know, I mean, because, you know, I mean, it, 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 it certainly puts a bit of a, a of a governor, if you will, on on side hustles for for you know for those that start to build their platform on a on a on a site like the New York times, but it also, you know, it helped I mean, the New York times has to control their brand, right. And they're investing in people. And so I, I, I get it. I, I get why it's, they, it's they even, have, I mean, this, this has happened for a hundred years. I mean, it, uh, right. I watched, what's this that is, movie? Oh, uh, Mac. Uh, what's the shoot? The movie that's up for best picture with, um, the guy that did Winston Churchill <laughs> tells you what I know. That, oh, Mank. Mank. Yeah, Mank. 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 Yeah. yeah, so I watched yeah. Mank last week or whatever, trying to catch up yeah. on some of the good movies that are going on. And uh, he was under, uh, whether, whether it was Paramount or whoever it was, he, he could only write for them. Anything he did was only for them. I mean, this is, That's right. this is not, yeah. not, a, it's a con- not a what they call a contract player. That's right. And if you don't want to be that way, then you don't work full time for an editorial institution and you you do the contract gig. That's right. And you can do all the movie consultations you want. Yeah. So there. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or you write as a freelancer for, you know, you can write freelance for the New York Times and not be an employee. But if you're going to be an employee, that's the way it works. Yep. 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 Well, there you go. Yep. That's it. all right. Yep. Uh, so our next story is a really interesting one uh, in our sort of four weddings and a funeral uh, <laughs> theme that we've got going on here. So if we've talked about weddings so far or launches or births or whatever you want to talk about, this one is a death in the family, if you will. Uh, this comes to us courtesy of therap.com and Mel Magazine. The We've talked about it. It was definitely one of our content marketing examples back in the old format of the show. Uh, basically, Mel Magazine is going to stop publishing after mass layoffs from owner Dollar Shave Club. Uh, we should probably even include the fact that it's not the owner is Dollar Shave Club anymore. It's as Unilever, right? I mean, is there a Unilever brand? That's right. And, uh, and so the article opens up by saying Mel Magazine will stop publishing on Wednesday and is seeking a new buyer 
There you go, folks. Da, da, da. After mass layoffs from its owner, Dollar Shave Club. After six years of successful partnership and transforming the men's health and media spaces for the better, Mel and Dollar Shave Club's financial relationship will come to an end in 60 days, Josh Schulmeyer, Mel's editor-in-chief, said in a statement. Mel will stop publishing Effective Wednesday, and the complete focus will now be on finding the right new owner. This has always been a part of the plan for our brand-backed partnership. <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. Um, and, but, and we're incredibly proud of what we've built together. We look forward to our next phase of opportunities and growth. Thanks to our incredible team and readers for their support and can now finally create all of the Razor content we've been dying to explore. Uh, it's not immediately clear how many staff members were impacted by the cuts, but at least nine Mel staffers announced their layoffs on social media. Representatives for Dollar Shave Club did not immediately respond to requests for content. Um, and basically then the article goes on very quickly to just talk about a little bit of the history of Mel Magazine. Um, that it launched on Medium in 2015 and then went to its own site in 2018. And quite frankly, had a, you know, going back to our Yahoo chats, had a reasonable and quite, you know, minimally viable, certainly, audience size. I mean, certainly enough to monetize it in a, in a good way. What, what do you, so what do you, what's your take? This is strange. The whole thing is strange to me because what, if you read this uh, from the, we're reading this from the rap. It they're saying that the Mellon Dollar Shave Club will split. Well, the Mel is Dollar Shaves Club's marketing. So it will, yeah, right. They're treating it as a completely separate entity, which, by the way, I think is the problem. This. They set it up in such a way, and I'm. I, this is all conjecture. I don't know. I'm not involved in it, but I'm just reading this and I'm looking at it, knowing the history and when they launched. They set it up as such a separate entity. They even had to figure out how they were going to raise their own money. So they sold merchandise and they just launched paid newsletters as part of this instead of. I'm, I'm maybe they did. I'm, I'm hopefully they did. They probably a smart company. They measured the success of Mel and the readership of Mel to selling razors or, or keeping customers longer or cost savings or something, right? Whatever marketing goal it is. I don't know if that happened, Robert. It, it maybe, maybe this is, they said, okay, you can do the magazine or, or maybe Unilever said, yeah, you can keep the magazine, but you, it's going to have to be profitable on its own. And they just, you start the clock now. They had to make the transition from being a marketing vehicle to be a standalone publication. And now they're done, right? I think, yes, I think, I think you're exactly right here. I think this is a large company, uh, namely, it's, and I just, I want to confirm that I'm not screwing this up. It's Unilever, right? It wasn't P&G. I thought it was, I thought it was Unilever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is. I'll double check here. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is a very large CPG company that acquired Dollar Shave Club purely for the business model here, right? The subscription and the brand um, that it had created, you know, through its funny content-driven TV commercials, um, which was a subscription razor brand, which they had not been able to do with their their razors, um, you know, that uh, Unilever hadn't been able to do to date. And I think they looked at it and went, we don't know how to deal with Mel Magazine. Like we don't know, we don't know what's going on here. I don't know how to, you know, because it was right to your to your to your point. It's own business. Yep. And uh, you know, and they and they and they and they made it work. Um, you know, they were getting three million uniques um, every month, and I mean that's that's for real. That's a that's a for real viable ongoing magazine. Why they need a buyer is a little bit beyond me. Other than if they, it's a little bit like you know, it's a little bit like the when the football team has the great player that they no longer want to have. See if there's, you know, see if we can get anything you know, for them. Little, yeah, yeah. before we, you, you know, release the, them, before you release right. the player, hey, can we right. get, get anything on a trade here? That's right. It's a little, it's a okay. little bit like Carson Wentz in the <laughs> the funny. Eagles, right? So, so to answer your question, it is Unilever. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I'm typing. I swear to God, Forbes. 
I I typed it. It's a Forbes article that talks about Mel Magazine's, you know, pivot long term uh, strategy, how they're going to pivot the COVID and all this stuff. And it's it's definitely Unilever. First of all, I go to it. I can't. Though there's content on literally two inches of my screen. Everything else is a sponsorship. What is up with you, Forbes? Like, yeah. how do people even get to the content? But regardless, in this article, it says, how are you going to monetize the site? And it's like, oh, we're looking at, you know, paid subs and we're looking at merchandise and whatever. Like a media company would. They're not saying Mel Magazine supports it's Dollar be up for Shave sale. Club. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is exactly. what it should do. What happened? It, that's why it was initially started, wasn't it? Well, I think this is them seeing yes is the answer to that but i think that's them seeing the writing on the wall you know because this this isn't something that happens in this course of two weeks right this is something where you know you feel you can you you know because i've having worked with as many big companies as we have and where the content teams and the branded content teams are sometimes out on an island you can feel that chill coming down the road that yeah. you know you you feel the chill in the air way before you actually start hearing about pink slips so it, i'm I, I would guess and again i don't have any more intimate knowledge than than you do on this um that at that point they were like hey we kind of need to exist on our own so you know they're gonna they're, they were trying to sort of put up a brave front to say this, what wasn't in the, any of those articles, and like I'm reading one on Digiday right now where it talks about it, what's not in any of those things was, oh, it was always in our plan to look for a buyer to, to invest in us. And, you know, no, the, the idea was we're going to operate on our own, you know, hoist, hoist ourselves up, you know, uh, and, and um, by our own bootstraps, as it were. And, you know, and, and we're going to be the, the best marketing vehicle for, for right. Dollar Shave Club. All right. I got two so, I got two things for you. First of all, yeah. I hate Forbes. I'm putting <laughs> it out there. I can't I yeah. I literally <laughs> there's Forbes, there's the masthead at the top, and then there's a big ad, and then there's half the title I can see, and then there's you've you've reached three or four articles, your next one's not gonna be free anymore, and then it's a subscribe thing. What? Yeah. Yeah. Second thing, and this is let's let's reach out and see if we can buy it. To see how much it costs. I bet you they're just I, I bet you it's not gonna be much. Let's just see what they I, I, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't really like the magazine all that much. It's not I mean It's fine yeah, it's fine. But, I mean it's a little it's a little bro, but it's it's yeah, it's you know. We could it'd be like a fixer upper. We take it, you you put on put in some new carpeting, and and resell we'll sell, it. We'll sell it as an NFT. <laughs> oh my god! I'm freaking buying this thing. <laughs> Mel is now an NFT. We're gonna buy Mel magazine oh, as an you can and relaunch Mel, it as an NFT. Mel magazine as an NFT. See, we're there people. Just, we're learning so much about. We're so future. smart. We're we're so oh, smart. <laughs> Anyways, I'm gonna I'm but I'm putting it on my list right now. I'm gonna see uh I'm gonna reach out and see how many I'm gonna say I am Yeah, you should. You should. It's I'm a, the guy who get, hates get a price. Hey, uh, I would like to buy Mel magazine. All right. Now, by the way, I have no I have no problems with, with the Forbes writers. I have no I love you all. You're doing a good job. But yeah, please somebody talk to the ad people. It's getting really, out of hand. It's getting out of control. It's it's out of control. It's uh, have you seen uh, Ready Player One, the movie? Yes, okay. of course. You remember the scene where he's like, "Well, if we take over from you know the good guys, this is what what we're going to fill their virtual screen with, and it's all ads." Yeah, that, that's right. That's what yeah, this that's, is. That's Forbes. That's exactly what this is. <laughs> Forbes is nice. Is as uh, what was their what was the name of their I triple I I I forgot the name of the company. Whatever it was. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. That's it. That's all I have. Your son is now yelling at the speaker right now. He knows the name. Oh, yeah. He's de- he definitely is like, Dad, you're an idiot because you can't remember this stuff. They already think yeah. I'm losing my mind. So you know, they, <laughs> they, they just come up to me now and yell in my ear. Hey, pops. 
Like it pops. Okay. <laughs> you become pops. Oh, yeah. They're, they they completely think I'm. They don't oh even God. know. They don't I, even know how I get ready in the morning anymore. I want you to know that I may start calling you pops. You call me pops. <laughs> yeah. Hey pops. Hey pops. <laughs> All right. All right, pops. It's now time for us to move to our favorite and empirically proven audience favorite part of the show, which of course is our rants and raves. Uh, which, of course, is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like our bracket is completely perfect or that uh, it's completely broken. Mine, by the way, is completely broken. And you know what? The reason mine is completely broken, which is sad to me. Why? It's funny. My my wife tells me whenever I think about sports, right, whenever I bet on sports, um, she accuses me, and she's absolutely right, that I always bet with my head, not my heart. Um, because I'm a huge fan of the Pac-12, as you might expect, um, and I had the Pac-12 for dead, right? You yeah. know, in, in terms of the bracket, and they're doing very well, um, especially my UCLA team. They're they're doing just fine. I think they're going to lose this 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 next go around though. But um, anyway, my bracket is completely fried at the moment, and it's because I don't. It's because I try and. I outthink myself. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't look at my heart. Yeah, it's it's better. I, it's better just to to complete it and not even think about anything. Almost, yeah. I mean, don't they don't they do studies every year where they find that uh, chimpanzees actually do way better on the brackets than most people? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because they're not thinking. <laughs> well, they are, but they're not thinking about brackets, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, would you like to go first? I'll go first. I'm your rave? much. Okay. Le- I, I think you have a lot. I think you have 14 rants. So I'm. Gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna just do my quick rave. Yeah. And my quick rave is that, and you can go to any article that's out there. Uh, two days ago, it came out that Microsoft was in final discussions with Discord, the online uh, communication platform, and it. I have to just send it out to Microsoft uh, with a big old hug of a rave because they don't get enough credit for their M&A program that they have, which a couple of years ago they bought GitHub. A couple of years before that, they bought Minecraft. And they've always talked about being a leader in gaming. And by the way, I think there's the, the potential for Discord, which is sort of like a more private Reddit and if you're not on Discord, you probably need to, or ask your kids, because your kids are definitely on Discord. I know mine are. I mean, they, they had to teach me how to use the platform. But they uh, they wanted to be this leader in gaming. There's Every gaming platform usually has some kind of discussion forum group on Discord. And GitHub works with it. You've got your Minecraft groups that are on Discord. So this is a really shrewd move by Microsoft. They're, they're in talks to do this for $10 billion, which I think is a deal with the valuations that are going on with social media and, and discussion platforms like um, Slack out there. So this is just fantastic. Uh, I've been The articles that I read, I don't know if you saw this, Robert, that Amazon and Epic Games were in final negotiations, but it looks like Microsoft is going to win and where they're saving a ton of money and Discord is saving a ton of time and energy because Discord was probably going to go public. Uh, they could could do that for maybe $15, $20 billion. While they're saving all that, they're just going to get the, the nice little down payment of the $10 billion and have to save all the paperwork and the lawyer's fees and the investment fees, and they can just go and get their job done. So I love what Microsoft is doing. They've got a boatload of cash. They've made the decision that including, you know, maybe they're going to, stop losing money on xbox and be one of the leaders in gaming and they're going to do it by by buying all these tertiary uh plug and play apps that are out there and uh, i think it's just brilliant so there you go it is it is brilliant you know they i mean they just uh, what they have microsoft very i mean they're not making a lot of the mainstream news right in terms of their uh their acquisition strategy and what they've been doing the last, let's call it five, six years. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely amazing, right? You know, the acquisition of GitHub, um, the acquisition of Minecraft, now perhaps the acquisition of Discord. It just shows you where they, they know their audience. They know who they are trying to win over. 
and they have a very clear long-term strategy. It is just to me so it's it's in marked contrast to the thing that we started this show with with the uh, Verizon Yahoo thing. It's just it's it's clear, it's straightforward, it's uh, and they're executing it. I just think brilliantly. You know, it's funny, very, isn't, very it, well. isn't it? Funny though that when you think of the leading tech companies, you think of Apple and you think of Amazon, you think of Google and Facebook and Netflix. Number two largest company in the world is Microsoft. Yeah. And they're not far behind Apple. I mean, a couple good days for Microsoft in the stock market, and they can pass Apple. So they are slowly becoming, again, the most dominant tech company in the world. It's hard to think that they're bigger than still as Amazon, but they are. So Yeah. Crazy. That CEO is absolutely crushing it. I, I, I have such admiration for him. He's he's just doing a fantastic it's job. Amazing, amazing, amazing work. All right, what do you got? You got yeah. a rant, a rage, All right. or what? Well, it's I guess it's just commentary more than anything All else. Right. I promise it's not political. Um, so it, it's it's uh, it, it's commentary. So it, it's just a pattern that I see emerging here, and it's one that we've talked about on the show. A political before. pattern. That is not a political pattern. It is not a political pattern. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, I mean, I guess in a way it's political, but it's not political. Um, It's more industry. So I'm going to put three links into the show notes um, because I think they're three very connected stories that don't seem connected at their surface. But it's a pattern that I'm really starting to notice come to the forefront uh, and as again, I mentioned something that we've talked about. So the first link that I want to point to is uh, from Deadline. Uh, and by the way, I want to give a hat tip to Frank Strong out there, friend and family of the show who sent this over. Um, I'd actually seen it, um, but I, but big hat tip because he actually sent it over via the hashtag. So thank you, Frank, for this. Um, and it's the headline from Deadline is NBC Universal sets retail partnerships with Facebook and Instagram, boosting their one platform capability. And the totally the lead is buried here um, because what they talk about in this article is uh, at this event called 121, which is a new event for media buyers that emulates basically tech industry stuff. Um, NBC Universal announced new partnerships with Facebook, Instagram, and the Trade Desk um, for expanded capabilities for what they call their one platform, um, which is the, we, and we talked about it years ago that they were starting to do this, which is ostensibly it's addressable, uh, first party data, addressable audience platform. In other words, we talked about years ago when NBC started building this, that you were now no longer going to, as an advertiser, buy day parts on TV networks anymore. You were going to buy audiences because, of course, they have much of what they can uh, deliver through their subscription networks, right? So whether you're getting it through CNBC or NBC or whatever, they can start to offer you um, access to their 230 million you know, U.S. adults who watch one of those networks. Um, with content. And so all the 14 different networks that they have, uh, you know, that come, of course, in digital can now be addressed with advertising, first party data. So keep that in mind. So we've got this new ad network being built by NBC, a private ad network being built that will target um, all of that. Second link we'll put into the show notes is this article from Digiday, um, and the headline is WTF, what the F is news pass ID. And here it's about this new uh, effort by what's called the Local Media Consortium, which is a strategic partnership put together by a lot of local media companies. So local TV companies, local newspapers, local, you know, so members include people like Seattle Times and Gannett who have, you know, mul- multiple local newspapers, et cetera. It's a single sign-on technology that they're going to share with all of these local publications that this single sign-on technology will also become what? A targeted ad network, a first-party acquisition data network. In other words, so when I share my party, my, my personal information with Seattle Times, I'm also sharing it with, you know, Boise Times and other local newspapers and local TV, which is nice because it's a single sign-on for me to get onto these places, but it's also a way for them to target advertising to me. Those two things represent 
what we're starting to see become a pattern here, which are companies, we and this is what we talked about a couple of years ago, which were as the third-party cookie goes away from Google, it's not going away for Google. In other words, the first-party data that they're going to use to target you with advertising across their network, YouTube and et cetera, et cetera, is all a wonderful network that they can utilize the first-party data they're aggregating to target you with their stuff, right? So it becomes a, a way to create this walled garden. The only thing it prevents, really, is the sharing it across broader websites and networks. So it becomes a bit of a walled garden in that idea. Same thing here, right? The same thing this this you know with this television idea from NBC. Same thing with this small network from you know small media companies on newspapers. So where is the next one, right? So you go, okay, well, that's interesting because now there's all these sort of little, little private ad networks growing up that can consider sort of like-minded companies. What I want to ask is, and maybe this is an entrepreneurial idea for somebody out there, who's going to be the first B2B consortium to put together a first-party ID for B2B, let's say, technology companies, right? So Salesforce, Adobe, Oracle, SAP, HubSpot, they all get together and build a network to basically have a single sign-on for any of their marketing assets. So where you only have to sign up once, but you're basically signing up for all of them to get their white papers and to get all their stuff. And then you go, okay, well, why doesn't Google or Facebook invest heavily in those things? Do you have an airplane flying over your house right now? <laughs> The guy, I don't know what happened. The guy's just blowing something right outside my window. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I was trying to be quiet for you, but I'm like, I think I'm about to take off. Yeah, I think you're about to. <laughs> you were on a roll. I didn't want to. I didn't want to in interrupt you. And and you know, I, I know what's going on right now in the background as I talk, and I feel like I'm talking louder. But I could, you know, I'll 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 mute some of it while you're talking. So okay. There you go. <laughs> anyway, finish your <laughs> anyway, point. Let's get on, done yeah. with this show. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the question is, why wouldn't you start to see Google or Facebook invest heavily in these kinds of private walled gardens as well? And you go, all right, they already did. So you remember last week, we talked about this idea that Facebook was going to launch this self-publishing platform for writers and journalists yep. to mm -hmm. be able to monetize their content. Well, just like this, you know, NewsPass ID, is it a sign-on technology that I can write my own stuff? Yes. But is it also an ad network? Well, yeah, it can be. So it's just something for us to keep our eyes on as these private networks start to, to launch. It's not targeted advertising and that stuff's not going away. It'll just be siloed into different networks, both big and small. And I'll finish with this, which is a third link that we'll put into the show notes, which is just a fun data point, how COVID-19 has completely supercharged the advertising triopoly of Google, Amazon, and Facebook. Uh, when you look at it, and hat tip to my friend here, Tim Walters, who sent this over to me via email, fun data point, and I'll close with this, the US digital ad market, those three companies made up 80% of all of the media buying in 2019. In 2020, it was 90%. Oh my, you're kidding me. No. 90? 90%. It's a range approaching 90%, says the article that we'll link to. So just that's, that. take all those data points together and that's where we're headed with targeted advertising. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Yeah. So, oh, all very all interesting. Right. Sorry for the interruption. No, it's quite all right. I seem yeah, to be moving away from the location, so we're, <laughs> I can at least hear myself. So, what do you got going on? Where I got going on this week. We are, uh, we've got two big client deliverables that we're just finishing. So it's 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 feeling like we can see some light at the end of the tunnel of our of our deep uh, deep work that we've been in um, in terms of uh, consulting and been doing some writing and and. Um, yeah, getting outside a little bit. It's starting to be spring has finally sprung here in Southern California, yeah. so we're getting outside it's a lot. Seventy so. degrees here in Cleveland, so it's, that's nice. Uh, finally, starting to catch up. No, I, I we just we launched formally launched the the tilt uh, today. Believe it or not, uh, so you if if you want to subscribe to the tilt, it's going to be a two time per week e newsletter for content creators. Looking forward to the launch. We formally launched on Tuesday, April sixth. 
but you can sign up now. And if you sign up now, I'll be happy. Uh, that's what you get. Yeah. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to it. And we've got a lot of good people working on it. So very excited about that. So we've, well, we'll see. Just another, let's just like I told you, Robert, I was never going to do anything again. All I was going to do is I was going to write novels. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah. See? I kept my word. It's like the Godfather 3. They brought you back. They just keep bringing me back. (laughs) All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode of uh, Buzz By Your Window. Uh, If you want to get all the goodness of Buzz By Your Window's show notes or dive into any of the other 263 episodes, well, head on over, won't you, to our shiny new website at thisoldmarketing.site. Well, we want to thank the good folks for Radix for powering our thisoldmarketing.site. And if you want your own .site domain, get over to Radix to get that started for your wonderful new NFT or your wonderful new Buzz By Your Window <laughs> podcast. Until we meet again, folks, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.